Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. How are you guys doing today? Woohoo! Good to see you. It's good to be here. I, this is home. Like every time I'm here at the creek, I just realize, man, I'm home. And I love, love, love starting every week, every Sunday. Usually my family's at the noon service, just worshiping at the creek. Best way to start the week, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. Man, we are glad that you are here today. All right, question as we get started. Has there ever been a time in your life when you did something dumb just because you didn't know any better, right? I've done that pretty much daily. My kids, they do it a lot too. So uh, here's a quick story about that. So not long ago, we were having people over for dinner and my wife, Ashley, she's an amazing hostess. She had the whole house looking just perfect. And in the bathroom downstairs that folks were gonna be using, she'd gotten this like metal cylinder, this really pretty decorative metal cylinder and put a scented candle inside of it. And it gave just kind of this nice glow to the whole room. So you can imagine our surprise when halfway through dinner, one of our friends goes into that bathroom and there are flames shooting out of the top of the cylinder, setting off the smoke detectors. And it was crazy. And so we, we panic, we're throwing water everywhere. We're trying to carry this thing outside. And then, you know, it doesn't take a detective to know it's only gonna be one of four culprits, one of our four kids. So kind of walk into the room where they're hanging out and I'm like, okay, who set the bathroom on fire? And this little quivering kindergarten hand goes up in the air and it's our youngest Chatham and he's telling on himself, but he has this look on his face that he gets when he's guilty and it's half guilt and half trying to look silly and cute so he doesn't get in too much trouble. So this is the look, this is the picture. This is, yeah, (laughs) it was me, but aren't I cute? You know, it was kind of that. And we're like, buddy, what happened? And he said, well, do you know how when we're outside by the fire pit, and we'll throw things on the fire together and the fire gets bigger and it's fun. And I'm like, yeah. He said, well, I saw that candle and I thought, I wanna make that fire bigger. And so I realized toilet paper burns really good. And I started taking all the toilet paper and throwing it in there. But then the fire got really big and I got scared and left. And I'm like, you didn't come tell us the house is on fire? He said, he said, I didn't know I was supposed to. And I'm like, well, buddy, listen, if there's a fire in the house, I'm sorry I didn't tell you this earlier. (laughs) Tell me immediately. And also never throw anything on a fire in the house. If we're out by a fire pit, I'm with you. That's one thing, but in the house, we don't make fire. And he goes, okay. He said, but daddy, you never teached me that before. (laughs) All right, okay. You're lucky you're cute. So the house didn't burn down that night, but you know, he did something silly and foolish and destructive because in his mind, you know, he, he didn't, didn't know any better or said he didn't know any better. And I think all through life, you know, we're going to find ourselves in situations, all through adulthood even, where even though we think we might know a lot, we're going to come into situations where we think, I really don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Like, I'm, I'm married now. I don't know what this is supposed to look like. I'm a parent now. I don't know how to do this. I'm an empty nester now. I don't know what to do here. I have a new job. Now I'm a college student. Now I'm retired. I'm facing something that I haven't faced before. And I'm not sure what this is supposed to look like. Nobody ever teached me that before. 
is apparently a pretty universal human condition to face situations that we're not really sure we know how to get through. I was reminded by this recently when uh, Amazon.com, they put out a list of all of the millions and millions of eBooks on Amazon that people read on their devices, on their phones. Every time you highlight or underline a passage in an eBook, Amazon is keeping track of that. And they put out a list of the most highlighted sentences in every book that's ever been written on, uh, that, that they have there on Amazon. And the number one sentence that had been highlighted more than any other sentence in any other book, when I read it, I thought, why would people highlight that? Why would they underline that? And at first glance, it doesn't seem like much of a sentence at all. Then the more I thought about it, the more I realized, man, that, that's something that does speak to us. So here's the most highlighted sentence of any book in the history of Amazon. It's from the book Catching Fire, which is part two in the Hunger Games series. And all it says is this, because sometimes things happen to people and they are not equipped to deal with them. That's all it says. And yet, isn't that deep? Isn't it true that every single one of us will find situations in life, we'll come to it, we'll come to a choice, we'll come to a crossroads, we'll come to a crisis, and we'll think to ourselves, I am not equipped to deal with this. I did a funeral for a, a lady who was about 70 years old um, years ago. I was just a young pastor and she'd been real healthy and then she died fairly suddenly. And her, her husband came into my office and he was this tough Marine, never really been in church and kind of confessed that he sort of thought church and faith and all that was just for, you know, people who weren't strong enough to deal with stuff on their own. And, and here he is weeping in my office, having to have just planned a funeral for his wife, his lifelong partner, his best friend. And he's weeping and he's saying like, for the first time in my life, I realize, I realize how much I need God. I realize that there's so much in my life that, that I can't do. And he used those exact words. He said, I'm facing something and I am not equipped to deal with this. Not equipped to deal with it. I think we've all been there. You know, I never read that book but that line spoke to me. I think I saw the movie. Usually if there's a book and a movie, just to save time, I'll watch the movie. But then real book people like get real snobby about that. They're like, oh my gosh, the book is so much better. There's so much stuff in the book that's not in the movie. And I'm like, you know what? I just trust Tom Hanks to tell me everything I need to know. And that's just kind of how I live. It saves time. <laughs> but I, I don't remember that line in the movie, but that line is true. Man, there's, there's times where we're going to face stuff and we're not equipped to deal with it. But here's the good news. God, he wants us to be equipped for whatever we face in life. And certainly there are going to be still those times when we face a crisis we're not equipped with. And in those moments, those are the very moments he wants to carry us through. But in every part of life, he either wants to equip you or carry you or a combination of both. But to be fully equipped and ready for all that life brings, you have to understand how life works. And so that's why God outlines in his Bible what his plan for our life is. We're in a series right now called Passages That Pump Me Up. And there are a whole bunch of passages of the Bible that pump me up. And the one I wanna start with today was written by the wisest person in all of human history. His name was King Solomon. He wrote most, most, of, the, most of the Proverbs. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, where this passage comes from. And Ecclesiastes is toward the end of his life, and he's reflecting back on all that he's learned, all of his mistakes, all the wisdom he's accumulated, and he's sharing so much about the nature of life. And he begins this long, very famous poetic passage of the Bible that says this, for everything there is a season, 
a time for every activity under heaven. And then that passage goes on to list what a lot of those times and seasons are. He says, there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time for war, a time for peace, a time to search and a time to stop searching. And like all of these different things and what, what he is telling us and really what God is telling us through Solomon's writing is that, that life is about seasons. There, there's a time and a purpose for everything. And if we want life to really make sense the way that God wants it to make sense for us, if we want to be equipped to handle all the challenges and the changes that life brings, we have to understand that life moves in seasons. And what works in one season often doesn't work in another season. Or maybe we're stuck in a season that God's called us to leave a long time ago, but we don't know how to move on. And so with the time we have today, I want to talk about what the Bible has to teach us about the seasons of life so that we can be equipped for whatever season God calls us into. And the more I read scripture, the more I read all God has to teach us about these things, I see that really there are four main seasons of life. And that's what's represented by these four chairs up here. And these chairs and these seasons don't happen in order the way that we think of life seasons. It's not like, you know, childhood, adulthood, old age, those kind of seasons of life. That's not really how God orders the seasons of life when you really look at what the Bible teaches about seasons. He's saying that in every part of your life, in childhood, in in, in adulthood, in your later years, there are different seasons you're moving in and out of through all of those. And there are, there are four main ones, and they're kind of represented by these four chairs up on stage. Because if you're like me and you're a visual learner and it helps you to kind of see something and it makes more sense that way, maybe, maybe this will help. So four seasons, four chairs. This first one is an office chair, and it represents the season of work, an important season of life. You know, we all have work to do. If you're a student, your work this isn't an office chair. This would be like a desk chair to you because your work is learning. You know, you work in an office, it is an office chair. Maybe your job, you're not sitting at all, but your work is represented by what's here. And God has so much to say about what he wants you to learn and do and how to be equipped when you're in a season where work is primarily what's going on. He wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to work hard. He wants you to be productive. But like any of these chairs in any of these seasons, he doesn't want you to stay in here too long because it will be a prison. See, there, there are certain people where they avoid this chair at all costs because they don't, like, they don't like to work, so they just avoid it. There are other people that try to live in that chair because it's where they feel strongest. It's where they feel most productive. It's where they feel like they matter. It's where they feel like they're most valuable. Like, I matter because of what my business card says. I matter because of the respect I get when I'm doing what I do, when I'm working at my craft. And so they go there and they spend too long there and it becomes a prison instead of a gift and they miss out on all the other seasons of life and they do it at the expense of their health, their faith, and their family. So what does God want us to know about this chair when you're in a season of work? And if you're filling in the blanks, here's the first one you can write down. When we refuse to work, when we refuse to sit in that chair, we're being lazy, which is sinful. But when we refuse to stop working, then we're making work into an idol. An idol meaning we're looking for our identity in, it, in, in anything other than God. That's what an idol really is. So the Bible has a ton to say about this chair, what we're meant to do to be equipped when we sit there. Here's one of my favorite verses about it. Whatever you do, whatever work you do, work at it with all of your heart is working for the Lord and not for human bosses. Christians should be the best workers on earth. We should be the hardest working people. We should have the best attitude in the office. That means if we're mopping floors, 
Those floors should be so clean because we're mopping floors to the glory of God, not working for a supervisor, but working for the Lord who put beauty and order in all things. And he's given us this space to take care of and it is sacred work to clean it. If we're teaching kids, we should be the best teachers in all the world because we love those kids the way that God loves us. And we're giving of ourselves to them selflessly, caring about them deeply. If we're leading a company, then we should be the best leaders on earth because we're doing it to the glory of God instead of just building a name or a brand or a stock price for ourselves, we serve a higher purpose. But if we're working too much, man, God has a lot to say about that as well. He says, it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food, for God gives rest to those he loves. He's like, you're missing out on life if you think that it's just about your work. You're living in this illusion of self-reliance where you think you don't need God because all I gotta do is keep working and I can essentially be my own provider. It's no way to live. And it leads to bitterness, it leads to struggle, it leads to broken and fractured relationships. And that chair, instead of a gift, it becomes a prison. And maybe he's calling you to step out of it and move into this, this season. And this is, this is a, a nice, soft, cushy chair, and it really is nice. And this is the season of rest. You just sit in it and you just think, oh, yes, rest. Man, some people love this chair. They do not want to leave. But some people... They're so antsy because they think they should be there all the time that they can't ever really fully appreciate this chair. And truth be told, that's kind of how I'm wired. My, my wife's all the time telling me like, just rest. I'm like, I'm trying, I'm rest. But, I, but there's, just, there's a few things I gotta do real quick. I'm gonna do real quick and then I'm gonna rest. She's like, just rest, just chill. I'm like, I'm going, I'm resting. This is me resting. And I'm like, you know, pulling out my phone, doing something. I'm trying to get back in that chair. And God, I just picture him smiling, shaking his head, saying, Dave, rest is a gift. It is a season I've called you to. And if you want to be most productive, you've got to rest, which seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? We think, how can I be productive when I'm resting? Well, it depends on where and how you're resting. When I'm running on earth as fast as I can run, it's not that impressive. It's not that fast. You know, I can go a few miles, you know, in an hour and, and be all sweaty and feel like I really did something. I worked hard. Look how far I went. But do you know that when I'm, a, when I'm asleep on an airplane, during that same hour, I can go a thousand miles. Or I don't know, not maybe that far, but you get the idea, a really long way. And then you wake up and I didn't do a thing. And I'm on the other side of the country. What's the difference? I was resting in something that had the power to carry me. See, when you rest in the Lord, when your faith is in Him, you're actually moving forward in rest farther than you could ever go in your own strength in work. God calls us to seasons of rest. Here's what he wants us to know. A person who refuses to rest is being prideful. A person who wants only to rest is being fearful. And you probably think, fearful, that doesn't make any sense. I was expecting lazy. But fear is usually the root of laziness. And I'll explain why in just a second. Jesus wants you to experience rest. It's a gift he wants to give you. You're not impressing him by just working all the time. His message is never come to me and work harder, work harder, work harder. His message is this, come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you 
is light. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful invitation. You know, the only time in Scripture Jesus describes his own heart, the posture of his own heart, is right here. And he describes his heart as humble and gentle. He's inviting us in, saying, come, just rest. I've done all the work. From the cross, when he gave his life for us, he said, it is finished. Not, now go out and work hard to earn this. Because he knew we couldn't. It's a gift that he offers. And yet we still gravitate to that chair to try to earn our way to him and to prove our value by how much we're doing and to prove all those voices wrong. People have told us we'd never amount to anything and we're trying to prove them wrong by how hard we work and in doing so, giving away our own peace on that treadmill of performance when God is saying it's time. You work hard when you're at work and do your best, of course, but that's not all life's about. Come and rest. And people who only want to sit in this chair... It's usually fear that keeps them there. Usually when you you meet someone and you think they're lazy, the root of that laziness isn't a lack of a desire to do more. It's usually a lack of confidence. It's usually a fear that, well, when I put myself out there, I, I, I I always lose. I always blow it. I never measure up. And maybe it started when they were a kid and they had this overbearing you know, parent or somebody in their life telling them, you're, you're always messing up. You're never going to amount to anything. And they started believing that voice and they think, well, this is the only place that I'm safe because anywhere else I go, I'm going to blow it. I'm going me- to mess up. So I just want to stay here. I'm just going to live in this chair. At least it's soft. At least it's safe. And Jesus is calling us to more. The Bible says a lazy person claims there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might be killed. He's painting that picture that what keeps us in this chair are these these unfounded fears of all the worst things that might happen. But fear in that way is a sin because it's not trusting God enough to be your protector and provider. And even to teach you through failure, because you know what, when you get out of this chair, you are going to fail sometimes. You are going to blow it sometimes. And that's okay because you keep going, you learn from the failure and keep going. When I was a kid, I had a childhood hero that really taught me not to be afraid a failure, but to learn from it and keep going. And he was an unlikely hero, right? Heroes come in all shapes and sizes. This guy was a, was a plumber. You know, he dressed kind of funny. Um, he was kind of short, a little bit overweight. Uh, he had a really kind of out of style mustache. But this guy was a hero to me. In fact, I brought a picture of him. We have a picture. There he is. <laughs> Mario. Man, I spent a lot of time with Mario growing up. This is what I learned from Mario. There's a deeper spiritual truth here. Him and his brother Luigi, they really carried me through some hard times. <laughs> so in all the Mario games, when I play with my friends and my brothers, I'd fail over and over. I'd, I'd, I'd play a level, I'd fall in a pit. I'd play a level, I'd get past the pit, and then a mushroom would eat me. And I'd keep going, but I didn't quit. Princess Peach is not going to save herself, people. Like, I had to keep going. And so we figured it out. My friends, we'd start sharing like, okay, this level, if you duck right here, if you jump right here, right here, there's an extra life hidden. And we would, we would share our journey and our struggle. And together we would figure it out. We'd learn from our failures and eventually we'd beat the game. And when you finally beat the game, nobody ever asked, well, how many times did you fail? Because it was an irrelevant question. All that matters is that you learn and you kept going and eventually you reach the goal. Nobody ever does it on the first try. So give yourself the grace of knowing I'm going to fail sometimes and that's okay and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to keep going. Mario style, right? And maybe you want a real life example. You're not into video games. So I've got a, there are billions of real life examples. Here's a real life example of somebody who kept going who inspires me. One of America's most decorated athletes, his name was Jim Thorpe. 
This is him in the 1912 Olympics. He was a Native American, experienced hardship that like most of us can't even fathom. Uh, in, in Oklahoma at a time when, when Native Americans were experiencing just horrendous forms of, of, of racism and poverty, and he had no opportunities. And he could have so easily just said, man, life is hard and everybody's out to get me. And I'm just gonna stay in this chair where it's safe. But he's like, like no, I wanna, like God made me fast and I wanna keep getting faster and, and, and be at my very best and not let anything hold me back. So in this particular picture, uh, it's zoomed in on his shoes because he's wearing two different shoes and here's why. So he gets to the Olympics in 1912 and his only pair of shoes gets stolen. And this is in a time when like, there weren't shoe companies there just ready to give the athletes more shoes. There weren't, there weren't any of that. And nobody was there to help him. And he could have just said, well, man, this is it. I got no shoes, I can't run. But instead of warming up that day, he dug through the trash until he found shoes. And there were two different shoes in two different sizes. So one of these shoes, he's wearing extra socks. Neither of these are running shoes. And he won two gold medals in 1912 with two shoes that didn't match from the trash. Now, that story would have been just as impressive had he not won the gold medals, but it shows a heart of perseverance that says, life's gonna have setbacks. Life's gonna have disappointments, but I'm not gonna live as a victim. I might have to dig through the trash to find my shoes when this other guy over here has got a shoe contract, but I'm not gonna let that slow me down. I'm gonna lace up what I got and I'm gonna go out there and do my best. And if we'll live with that kind of attitude, there's nothing that can hold us back. Fear should never be what's keeping us in this seat. If fear is the reason you're doing anything, your motives are wrong and you need to change seats. If sitting in this chair is a way to recharge and to rest and to honor God and to trust him that he's in control and you're not, then by all means, enjoy this chair. It's a gift from God, but don't live in it because there are four seasons of life. And if you live in any one of these, you're gonna miss out on three fourths of what God has for you. Now this chair is also fun. This is a beach chair. It represents enjoyment, fun. Did you know that God wants you to enjoy things? And have, some people are surprised. Some Christians are like, no, he doesn't. He does not. If you're having fun, you're sinning. I've been around people like that. Just thinking like, man, has anybody gotten saved when they look at your life? It, it's like, if that's what Christianity is, I want, I want something else, right? And Jesus, he had to be a fun person. You know how I know? because kids were drawn to him. Kids were drawn to him constantly. Children are only drawn to fun people. Have you noticed this? Like children are never drawn to somebody with a scowl on their face. Now kids are scared of that. Kids are drawn to joy, playfulness, fun. So Jesus clearly embodied those things. And guess what? The Bible reaffirms that it's okay to live playfully and joyfully and fun. King Solomon, in all of his wisdom, um, you know, he, 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 he says this. I'm going to share this verse in just a second. But first, what we can learn about this chair, the enjoyment chair. A hard heart refuses to enjoy life's pleasures. A selfish heart lives only to enjoy life's pleasures. Right? Again, so like any of these chairs, it's a gift when you sit in it at the right times in the right ways. It can be a curse or a prison or an idol if you misuse it. If you never want to sit there because you're like, no, I'm too busy to have fun. That's called me to work, be productive, be a provider. I, that's for lazy people. That's for wimps, you know, and I, I sunburn easily and I'm not going to sit there. You know, I'm not going to enjoy life for whatever it is. 
that's a hard heart. God hasn't called us to have a hard heart. But people who only want to live here, it's only about the pleasure. It's only about that next experience. It's only about that next high. They end up overindulging. They end up actually poisoning and polluting their body in an attempt to maintain this certain feeling of just living in pleasure. And if pleasures are only gold, then obviously, and we can count a million reasons why that's going to get way out of balance. But if we never have any fun, we're living out of balance too. So King Solomon on the positive side teaches us this. So I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way we will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives us to do under the sun. That this is a season. God calls you to seasons of enjoyment. But again, if we stay there too long, it can become an idol. Bible says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to reap their flesh, that means living only to just please our, our, our body and what feels good instead of living for a higher purpose. From the flesh, they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to reap the spirit, which means focusing on the things of God and realizing that this life is but a breath and that we've got eternity to go and we need to live in light of that. From the spirit, you will reap eternal life. So we need to live with that kind of perspective. That yes, enjoy life's blessings and have fun when they come and enjoy the day at the lake and enjoy that ice cream scoop. But we have to do things within balance as well. So those are the first three. Work, rest, enjoyment, three seasons of life. But it leaves the fourth. This is the one that we tend to hate. This is the chair of struggles or suffering. I mean, it's in the metaphor here, it's, it's a wheelchair, though suffering takes on all different shapes and sizes. And a person can live their whole life actually confined to a wheelchair. That doesn't in any way mean that they're not living a full life and can't still experience work and rest and enjoyment the way God intended. But just for the, the, our purposes today, it's probably the best chair that represents the struggle and the suffering of finding yourself in a position where you can't do something in your own strength or where you feel powerless. The Bible has more to say about this chair than any of the others. And this chair isn't the curse that you might think that it is. And there are several reasons for that. Number one, of all four of these chairs, of all four of these seasons, three of them you'll also be able to experience in eternity. Work. You might have a, a misguided view of heaven like a lot of Christians have where you think heaven is just, you know, these little fat babies in diapers, strumming harps on clouds. I don't know where these images come from. But God's vision of heaven, the new heaven, the new earth, the kingdom that he's called us to, it'll have, it'll have work in a productive way. It'll have work where we're, we are productive in, in, in this life-giving, soul-giving, worshipful way. There's stuff for us to do, and that's a gift. The best parts of that productivity, it's going to happen in heaven. We could do a whole sermon series on that. Rest. Oh, man, there's going to be rest in heaven. Rest for your weary souls. Rest, the kind of rest that we can never fully experience in this life with the sin and the busyness and the brokenness of life because all that will be gone. Man, we're going to be able to rest. Enjoyment, you can't imagine the enjoyment and the pleasures that you'll experience in heaven. The best of this life, the best pleasure this world has to offer. Don't even hold a candle compared to what God has in store for those who love him. No mind has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has fathomed what God has in store for those who love him. But only one of these seasons won't exist in heaven. It's this one. Suffering, struggling, 
So this life is the only time in all eternity when you will be able to experience the growth and the blessings and the closeness and intimacy to God that can only happen through pain and through struggle. Some people refuse to sit here and in doing that, they they don't properly grieve or they don't properly work through life struggles because they pretend that this doesn't exist. Other people, just like all of these chairs, there are certain personality types that are drawn to stay in them longer than they should. And believe it or not, there are people that are drawn to this chair more than they should be. People who bring suffering on themselves. Why would they do that, you ask? Well, it's a lot of reasons. Number one, it's a misguided view of guilt or shame where they feel that they have to beat themselves up over a sin that Jesus has literally taken a beating to forgive. For others, it's habit and mindset. You're like, what's an example of someone who would sit in a seat of suffering by their own choice? I can think of a bunch. Uh, University of Georgia football fans. (laughs) You sit and cheer for a team, you know they're gonna lose in the end, they're gonna break your heart. But every year you pay money and go down to Athens and you sit in this seat and cheer, go dogs, just to watch them lose to Alabama. I, no one makes you do it. No one makes you do it. I know, it's a low blow. I'm a Kentucky fan, so I just roll around all fall in that chair, just getting beat up by the SEC. So I get it. It doesn't have to make sense. We all have our quirks. But there's a kind of suffering, of course, that's much, much, much eternally bigger than watching your team lose. It's when we face trial or loss or physical pain, emotional pain that we find ourselves just saying, I'm not equipped to handle this. And so what do we do in those moments? Here's what God wants us to know about the seasons of pain. We don't get to choose when we suffer, but we choose whether or not the struggles push us closer to God. In moments of pain, you know, what I've seen just from life and you know, years of walking through painful situations with people as a pastor, pain does one of only two things in a major way. It either makes someone more bitter or it makes someone more tender. It either pushes someone farther away from God or it draws them closer to God. And while we rarely get to choose when and how pain is gonna enter our life, we always get to choose which of those two paths we take as a result. That's, that's the, the part where we have the choice. And very often when someone says, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do in this pain. God isn't calling you to do anything, but to trust him. Because in the pain, he doesn't equip us, he carries us. It's not about what you do, it's about how you trust. It's about how you surrender. It's about how you say, God, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm trusting you in it. And it's part of the human condition that we're gonna experience it. Even Jesus himself experienced this chair Matthew, it says, Jesus went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So Jesus in his humanity is saying, I don't want to sit here. It's gonna hurt more than any human being has ever hurt for any reason. The pain I'm about to take on, the pain of all humanity. But if that's the only way, father, for your plan to be done, for us to reach the world, then I'll sit there. I'll sit there gladly and I'll endure it. And when we find ourselves for any reason in that chair, instead of just praying, God, get me through this, God, get me out of this, get me out of this, even though it's okay to pray that, I think part of what God is saying is, Lord, help me to, 
trust you more in this. Show me what it is you want me to learn in this. James wrote it this way. He started out his whole letter in the New Testament this way. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles and sufferings of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. That doesn't make any sense in our human understanding. Wait, when I'm hurting, it's an opportunity for great joy. That doesn't make any sense. Like when I'm hurting, I just need to get out of that chair and back to this chair as fast as possible. I need to get out of the wheelchair and onto the beach. I need to get out of the wheelchair and and back to work. And yet God's saying, I understand your desire to want to be out of that chair, but you're, you're, you're missing some unique blessings that you can only experience in all of eternity. This brief moment is the only opportunity for you to experience the blessings I want to give you while you sit there and trust me. You know, my, my dad's experiencing this chair right now, both in a literal and a figurative way. Here's a picture of dad. You know, dad's been, been healthy all his life, but the last nine months, he's had 20 years worth of you know, stuff that's gone wrong. He started about nine months ago. He had a near-death experience with a pulmonary embolism that almost stopped his heart. You know, he survived that barely, but in the midst of that, they discovered that he had cancer on his kidney. So a few weeks later, he had to have a kidney removed. Uh, He got a a back injury um, at his work that's caused constant pain. Uh, He had some very severe food poisoning. And then most recently, Six weeks ago, what he was getting a cortisone shot in his knee so he could get his knees replaced because they're in constant pain. They didn't clean off the area before they gave him a shot and he got a staph infection in his knee and he said, it's the worst pain I've ever had in all my life. Like worst pain, 24-7. I can't walk, I can't put any weight on it. Even when I'm sitting still, I'm in agony. And him and mom have just kind of worked through this. I mean, just the, 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 the pain, the debilitating frustration, um, the, the worry about, I need to be in this work chair because I'm trying to get ready for retirement and this is setting us back and, and all of that. But, but what dad has said as I've talked to him through this is he said, this is miserable and I can't wait for God to take this away. He said, but I'm learning, I'm learning to trust God in ways that I never have before. And he said, and I'm also learning that all the times that I said I trusted God, I was really trusting in my own strength as much as I was trusting in him. I was living in the illusion that like, yeah, God, I trust you, but really I got this covered. But now with no strength, feeling completely helpless, I'm feeling closer to God than I've ever felt in my life. And yeah, I can't wait to get out of this chair and I pray he gets me out of it soon and his pain stops and all of that. But looking back, I'm gonna be so thankful for how the Lord has revealed himself to me and comforted me and carried me through this most difficult season of my life because he is so good. He is so good to us, even when life is hard, especially when life is hard, especially when life is hard, God is good. So if you're here today and you're in this chair, maybe on the outside, looks like things are all together, but, but inwardly you're carrying a struggle that is the hardest thing you've ever had to face. And God is with you, he is for you. And I believe you're not here today or watching online by accident. He wants you to know that he loves you and he is gonna carry you through this. And so whatever you're facing today, whether you're in a season of struggling or you're in a season of enjoyment when things are good or you're in a season of rest where you're just kind of recharging for what's next or you're in a hard season of work, whatever you do, you can do those things to God's glory. The Bible says, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Work for his glory, rest for his glory, have fun for his glory, and yes, even suffer for the glory of God. 
And if you'll do all those things, then you're living in all seasons, in all times, a life that God wants you to live. You know, as I close, I told you at the beginning, Amazon showed the most highlighted sentence passage from any of their books. Well, Amazon also shared the most highlighted Bible passage from anybody that's, that's read the Bible as an ebook. And this passage, I think, is so appropriate to whatever season we're in. And we're in this series, Passages That Pump Me Up. And really, I've saved my passage that pumps me up for the end. You know, all those other passages, they're great and they, they inform us about life. But, but this one brings such hope and such comfort in all seasons of life. And it's been highlighted more than any other. So there are others who need to be reminded of this as well. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry in those seasons of struggle and don't worry in those long seasons of work. Don't, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He loves you more than you can imagine. He is with you in whatever chair you sit. You'll never take a step without him. And he'll be with you forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you, God, that you've given us the tools to equip us for life and for every season and every challenge we will ever face. For those of us, God, that you're nudging us to step from one chair to another, we've been in that seat too long. Give us the courage to know when and how to make that move. God, for those of us today who are sitting in that seat of struggle and suffering and feeling like maybe we're struggling and suffering alone, I pray you would let, let them sense your presence and your peace in ways they've never felt it before. Carry them through those dark times. Give them the blessings that can only come through those tears. And in your timing, God, move them out of that seat and back to one of the others. But for all of us, God, wherever we are, wherever we sit, help us put our full trust and faith in you, Jesus. Life without you is a life that doesn't make any sense. But with you, God, every season of life has purpose. For those here today that have never prayed a prayer to invite you to be the leader of their life, I pray that they would make the best choice of their life today by saying, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to do it in my own strength, but I am not equipped. I was not meant to be equipped without you. But Lord, I know with you, I can do all things. So be the leader of my life, the savior of my soul. Help me become the person I was made to be and help me live for your glory and not my own. And God, for all of us, as we leave this place today, let us leave feeling lighter, freer, reminded that you're with us. And we thank you that you're for us and you're with us every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.